Chapter 17 of The Egregious English by T. W. H. Crossland. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 17 Law and Order. The English love to be ruled, just as eels are said to take delight in being skinned. They hold that a nation which is properly ruled cannot fail of happiness. Their notion of rule may be summed up in the phrase law and order. The Englishman believes that law and order are heaven-sent blessings, especially invented for his behoof. Where else in the world, he will ask you grandiloquently, do you get such law and order as you get in England, the land of the free? If anybody picks his pocket, or encroaches upon his land, or infringes his patent rights, or diverts his watercourses, the Englishman knows exactly what to do. There is the law. They keep it on tap in great buildings called courts, and persons in wigs serve out to you precisely what you may deserve with great gusto and solemnity. The man picked your pocket, did he? Three months' imprisonment for the man. Somebody is making colorable imitations of your patent doll's eyes? Well, you can apply for an injunction. And so on. This is law. All Englishmen believe in it, particularly those who have never had any. When it comes to the worst, and the Englishman finds that he really must take on a little of his own beautiful specific, he usually begins by falling into something of a flutter. Those bewigged and sedate persons seated in great chairs with bouquets in front of them, and policemen to bawl silence for them, begin to have a new meaning for the Englishman. Hitherto he has regarded them complacently as the bodily representatives of the law in a free country. He has smacked his lips over them, rejoiced in their learning, wit, and acumen, warmed at the notion of their dignity, and thanked God that he belonged to a free people, free England. Now, when it comes to a trifling personal encounter before this mountain of dignity, this mountain of dignity perched on a mountain of precedent, as it were, the Englishman shivers and looks pale. But his solicitor and his counsel and his counsel's clerk, particularly his counsel's clerk, soon put him at his ease, and instead of withdrawing at the feel of the bath, he is fain to plump right in. Whether he comes out on top or gets beaten is another matter. In any case, the trouble about the thing is that, win or lose, it is infinitely and appallingly costly. Law, the Englishman's birthright, is not to be given away. If you want any, you must pay for it, and pay for it handsomely, too. Otherwise, you can go without. The English adage to the effect that there is one law for the rich and another for the poor is one of those adages which are very subtly true. There is a law for the rich, certainly. There is also a law for the poor, namely, no law at all. On the whole, the Englishman who has not had his pristine dream of English law shattered by contact with the realities is to be envied. All other Englishmen, whether their experience has lain in county courts, high courts, or courts of appeal, talk lovingly of English law with their tongues in their cheeks. With respect to order, the much-bepraised handmaiden of law, I do not think that the English get half so much of her as they think they do. She costs them a pretty penny. The upkeep of her police and magistrates and general myrmidons runs the Englishman into some noble taxation. 
yet where shall you find an english community that is orderly if even an infinitesimal section of it has made up its mind to be otherwise in london at the present moment there are whole districts which it is not safe for a decently dressed person to traverse even in broad daylight and these districts are not by any means slum districts but parts of the metropolis in which lie important arteries of traffic there is not a square mile of the metropolitan area which does not boast its organized gang of daylight robbers purse-snatchers watch-snatchers and bullies who would beat a man insensible for fourpence and whose great weapon is the belt for convenience sake these people have been grouped together under the term hooligan the police the far-famed london police can do nothing with them they admit that they are ineradicable and irrepressible the magistrates and the newspapers keep on asseverating that something must be done that something apparently consists in the capture of a stray specimen of the tribe who is forthwith given three months with perhaps a little whipping thrown in but hooliganism is a business that continues to flourish like the green bay-leaf and london is no safer to-day than it was in the time of the garroters as the belt is the weapon of the london robber and as hooligan is his name so we find in all the larger provincial towns gangs of scoundrels with special instruments and slang names of their own in lancashire and the black country kicking appears to be the favourite method of dealing with the order-loving citizen in some of the northern towns the knuckle-duster the sandbag and the loaded stick are requisitioned and in all cases we are told the police are powerless the fact is that on the whole england cannot be reckoned an orderly country the hooligans and their provincial imitators are just straws that show the way of the wind when these persons say we will do such and such things in contravention of the law there is practically nothing to stop them in the same way when a community determines to run amuck on an occasion of national rejoicing such as the late mafeking night or because a strike is in progress or a charity dinner has been badly served or the vaccination laws are being enforced it does so at its own sweet will and order can be hanged once a week too namely on saturday nights english order like the free list at the theatres is entirely suspended saturday night is the recognized and inviolable hour of the mob throughout the country your flaring english gin palaces are at their flaringest the beer-pumps sing together with a myriad voices and the clink of glasses takes the evening air with beauty until perhaps eight o'clock all goes well then the quarrelsomeness which the english masses extract from their cups begins to assert itself and the chuckers out in what other country in the world are there chuckers out and the police begin to be busy till long after midnight their hands are full and it is not until the sabbath is a couple of hours old that the english masses seek their rest in the meantime what squalid indiscretions what sins against humanity what outrages have not been committed the bare consumption of drink alone has been appalling the bickerings angry shoutings indulgences in pugilism and hair-pulling have been infinite and on monday morning the police courts will have their usual plethora of drunks and disorderlies wife-beatings and assaults on the police 
with perhaps a case or two of manslaughter and a murder to put the crown on things in the main however law and order may be counted among john bull's many illusions they are as one might say sweet to meditate upon they look all right on paper and they sound all right in the mouths of orators for the rest the englishman who is wise smiles and keeps a folded tail one may note before leaving this entertaining subject that in england lawyers and laymen alike take a special pride in admitting a certain ignorance at the bare mention of scots law they lift up pious hands and impious eyes and say thank heaven we know nothing about it chapter eighteen education lord rosebery whom the worthy mr crossland dislikes on purely racial grounds is usually credited as the originator of what has latterly become the englishman's watchword educate 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 whether it was the scotch half of lord rosebery or the english half that prompted him to this simple human cry i shall not pretend to say on the other hand it is certain that when his lordship offered the english such a profound piece of advice he gave them exactly the counsel that they most needed for though the english boast of their knowledge though they are the arrogant possessors of seats of learning out of which can come nothing but perfection though they possess ancient universities and ancient public schools though they have a school board system and free education and though their country is overrun with middle-sized men who play billiards and drink bitter beer and call themselves schoolmasters they are indubitably and unmistakably an uneducated people until the passing of the elementary education act of eighteen seventy learning in england amounted practically to a luxury only the rich might be permitted to know things it was a case of schools colleges and universities for the sons of noblemen and gentlemen the rascally lower classes might look after themselves it is open to question whether the rascally lower classes were not on the whole educationally better off in that day than they are at present that however is by the way but in the later sixties the reformer got his eagle eye on the rascally lower classes he perceived that the rascally lower classes were in bad case they got drunk they used foul language they smoked short pipes and heaven help them they could not read anticipating the english or scotch half of lord rosbery as the case may be the reformer said educate 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 and so it was the english have been educating ever since they educated to such purpose that thirty years later lord rosebery felt it incumbent upon himself to bid them educate 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 in those thirty years the rascally lower classes learned somewhat they were supposed to discover inter alia that knowledge was power they were told that a hodman who could write his name was a better hodman than the hodman whose sign manual was a cross they were led shrewdly to infer that their pastors and masters and general betters owed their supremacy to knowledge and that if they the rascally lower classes would only instruct their children these same children might wax great in the land and carry burdens no more the rascally lower classes sent their children to school some of them cheerfully some of them with groans and the stars began to shine over england's darkness what has come to pass all men know 
every englishman gets the smatterings of a literary education and believes in his heart that he was cut out by the almighty to be a clerk the honest trades and handicrafts are no longer desirable in the minds of english youth to take one's coat off with a view to livelihood is a business for dolts and fools advertise in england for an office boy and you shall receive five hundred applications advertise for a boy to learn plumbing and you will be offered perhaps two daft-looking lads who after much thrashing have managed to attain the age of fourteen years the fact is that the english do not know what education means at the public schools and at the universities of oxford and cambridge education has become to a great extent a social matter you go to these places to learn certainly but you also go with a view to the formation of a desirable and influential acquaintance and to get upon your forehead the mark which is supposed to make glorious the public school and university-bred englishman as a general rule that mark is altogether imperceptible to the eyes of the unelect who if the truth must be told discover the university man not so much by his manners or conversation as by his ineptitudes when one comes to consider the principles upon which the public school and university system are worked one is quite prepared to admit that were it not for the element of snobbery patent in the system english public schools and universities alike would in the long run have to be disestablished as it is they are the conventional resort of aristocratic adolescence and permitted to exist only on condition that if a low middle-class person can find the money and keep up the style he too may join the angelic host to the man of temperament to the scholar to the man who loves learning for learning's sake the english universities have precious little to offer after oxford and cambridge one turns to london and the non-resident foundations all of them i believe modern here as it seems to me the english err again broadly speaking these institutions wittingly or unwittingly devote their energies to the preparation of young men for the civil service if you are an english board school teacher at eighty pounds a year and you discover that a second-class clerk in the circumlocution department commences at three hundred pounds a year and that roughly the examination to be passed is the same as for matriculation at london you naturally go in bald-headed for matriculation at london for the learning you get by these efforts you have not the smallest respect if on presenting yourself for examination by the civil service commissioners you come out sufficiently high on the list to secure an appointment well and good if not your labor has been wasted it is this spirit which is at the bottom of the english ignorance with them learning education is a means to an end and not in the least its own exceeding great reward hence a properly educated englishman is almost as rare as a blue rose for the masses the rascally lower classes that is to say there are the board schools here for thirty years past has been enacted about the sweetest travesty of education that the mind of man could conceive for the teaching of the children of the rascally lower orders the wise english government with the assistance of the wise english school boards has invented what is to all intents and purposes a new type of man and his name shall be called schoolmaster 
he began heaven knows how but if you inquire into him you will find that he has spent three years at a government training college and that prior to this experience he was for some years a pupil teacher also that he is a son of the people and that his father drove an engine or kept a shop in these latter circumstances he was perhaps fortunate the marvellous fact about him is that in spite of his years of pupil teachership and of his three years at a government training college he is not a man of either learning or culture i am told that an english pupil teacher is not expected to fash himself by the study of either latin or greek two books of euclid will see him through the stiffest of his examinations he does not need to have even a nodding acquaintance with modern languages and as for science if he really wants some he must pick it up at evening classes even when he passes into the government training college where by the way he is instructed and boarded and lodged gratis his studies do not become in any way profound the history of england the geography of the world arithmetic according to barnard smith algebra according to dr todhunter latin and greek according to dr william smith part one with a little french a very little french bring him to the end of his tether really the whole business is childish any youth of average capacity should get through the entire three years course in six weeks of course there is the so-called technical training to reckon with that is to say a man at one of these colleges is supposed to spend a great deal of his time and no doubt does in perfecting himself as a teacher but one would have thought that actual practice in an ordinary school would be the best instructor in this respect in any case nobody can consider closely the english schoolmaster as manufactured at government training colleges without perceiving that the government turns out a very remarkable article indeed i have no desire to belittle a hard-worked and probably underpaid body of public servants their profession is a thankless one i do not think for a moment a single man of them went into it with his eyes open and i know for a certainty that the school boards and the government between them have so hedged it round with petty annoyances that a man possessed of feeling must loathe it it is probably this feeling of loathing of his work that keeps the english schoolmaster down he knows that it is vain for him to go a hair's breadth out of the beaten tracks the school boards must have grants the government inspectors must be satisfied there is only one method of ensuring these desirable consummations that one way amounts to sheer mechanism and slog the english schoolmaster must have no temperament if he possesses such a thing he is bound to come to great grief hence the whole weight of the english system is from first to last employed in the work of knocking temperament out of him and keeping it out his three years free training particularly tend to make a slack unthinking saphead of him he gets a parchment which entitles him to call himself a certificated teacher and he is taught to imagine that for downright learning there is nothing like himself under the sun in this latter surmise he is quite right the schoolmaster in england though he will probably be another quarter of a century waking up to the fact counts for next to nothing men of parts avoid him men of no parts laugh at him 
for himself i imagine he will long continue to believe in his heart that he is a great man a little lower perhaps than a parson but certainly a little higher than a policeman the real value of english education like the real value of most other things becomes apparent when it is put to the test of practical affairs any employer of labor will tell you that whether an english boy come to him from a school board or a school of a higher grade whether he be the son of a ploughman or of what the english call a professional man he is always and inevitably a good deal of a fool you have to teach him how to lick stamps you have to teach him that excepting in so far as he can write and read what he has learned at school is not wanted you have to teach him how many beans make five you have to teach him that punctuality and accuracy are worth more in business than all the botany he ever learned and all the time you have to watch him like a cat watching a mouse fire out the fools once exclaimed dr robertson nicole i do not think it is too much to say that if the average english employer took the hint he would have nobody left to do his business for him End of chapter eighteen